Hello, <laughs> and welcome to Episodic Memories. Um, Andrew, you usually do. Yeah, this. take the reins, man. I, I Go to town. I don't know how to do it. You're, you're doing good. I don't have a thing. I'm Andrew, sitting across from me. Let's do it again. Let's back everybody it's too back. Late. We're, we're everybody in, back we're to seven. here, man. Everybody we're back here. to seven. Se- now is that halfway? Where in the page are we? Down. Is third line. Third line. Third Let's line. Go ahead and, okay. Wait, do you have the blue pages? I have orange. Oh god. Are the blue ones? Blue's the, new. Blue's a new update. Why don't I ever get these new pages? Jesus Christ! What kind of operation? What, what are we doing? What kind of nickel and dime operation are we running here? We're going to have to fire that PA. Oh, don't make me... Look, this, have... this is the sixth time something like this has happened. We're going to have to fire him. You know, he's like a he's like a family friend. And I know he's an ex-con. And I get that he's trying to get his life back together. Yes. But obviously he needs to learn about consequences. I don't think he learned that on the inside. Or we can go off the old pages. We could go off of Orange. There's a lot of racial slurs in these pages. I was going to ask you about them anyway. There's more in blue. What? So, <laughs> oh, maybe boy. We'll stick with orange. Oh. I ain't a winner. Pay the front line. Take the don'ts. He's coming out again for a new point. Get your bets on, ladies and gentlemen. Four fours to point. Mark four. Ace, two, scrap, one, four. Ace, two, scrap, one, four. Hello, and welcome to Episodic Memories. I'm Mark, sitting across from me is the titan of TNT, Andrew Kukowski. Andrew, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Andrew is Can you tell I've waving got his my hands. emotions are running at 110%. Uh, I'm doing, that's my new, that's my new, my new, my new thing. Yeah. I'm doing great. Do you know what my new thing is? What's that? Uh, in this economy? Oh, that's good. Anytime that's anybody good. asks anything. Anything. Ah, uh, I want to get a sandwich. Oh, in this economy? <laughs> but it's better when the question is asked when it's better like this. Here, I'll let you try it out. Did you uh did you get those new pages? Did you get those new pages typed up for us? In, in this economy? Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's a lot to ask. <laughs> that's good. That's smart. Mark! It's the new episode of Episodic Memories. Yes. How you doing? Uh I'm going to bring everybody down at the top of the show. I have to announce uh, there was a death in the family oh, last week. Boy, uh, Robin. Yes, that is the name of the issue of Batman where Tim Drake dies. I think the he was young the Robin. one. Yeah. yeah, I think that was Tim. Yeah, uh, beaten to death with a crowbar and then blown the fuck up by the Joker. Yes. Yeah. Uh, family passing. Very mm. very sad time. Very I. She she had not listened to the show. I can tell you that honestly. Okay. Uh, well. My grandmother was an older woman, hmm. not into new technology. Well, she but, um, she basically listened to the show. She did effectively get a, a good sampling of the show. Andrew and had come to a number of family functions, and anytime Andrew and I are together, we just start rolling out classic best of the best bits, pretty much. Now, yeah, if you actually go back and listen, like I think, sir, with. We we talk we talk about the Gonzalez clan a lot on the show because yeah. uh, anytime there's a holiday, I tend to I get invited, yeah, and then it just turns into a real shit show. Mark and I won't shut up about um, 
crumbler I, puns. I, yeah, there was that was our most recent one. I think if you listen to some episodes, we did actually take some audio from some family dinners. Some of those episodes, you can't tell. I no, think it's just it's there's a our, mic. Our Star Wars episode, we just dropped a mic right there. At the yeah, table. you're hearing you're just hearing uh, uh, utensils scratch on plates, yeah. but and it's it's you the just, stony silence from the rest of the family is. It was not edited that's out. Not that that's sweetened. not sweetened at all. That's not sweetened. That's, that's exactly what it sounds like. Just I am icy cold stares the whole yeah. time. That is terrible to hear, Mark. It's very sad. You know, Grandma will miss you. Our, we've lost our matriarch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's a lot to deal with. It's a lot to process. But However, the thing is, though, is now you were telling me earlier, you've entered the, the wonderful world. Of of of, Funereal of, arrangements. of the death industry, yes. basically. That yeah. uh, the, the the see this is and it's shitty. Uh, I said this before. My father was a funeral director for years and years and years and years. So like I am well aware of how this works. But if you've ever seen that scene in The Big Lebowski, where they're sitting there and they're kind of getting listed, all of these. What's that? <laughs> That's a very modest accommodation. <laughs> our, our, what does he say? Our That's most a, modestly priced urn. And see, and and uh, you know, it, it makes John Good. It makes uh, uh, Walter look like an asshole. Yeah. And it, technically, I mean, he is. But you were basically playing the Walter character. Yeah, pretty much. I guess I was in the Walter chair. It was split up between me and my cousin Jeff. We were we were sharing Walter duties to my mom being. The dude, I guess, kind yeah. of the person in the driver's seat, while these two assholes are like trying to. I've, it's weird because we felt like we were nickel and diamond them, but they were nickel and diamond us. So it was it was a it was a arms race of who could be. Anyways, yeah, the death industry was in full force. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a, it's a, a real very weird thing to have to deal with. But it it. It makes it sound like that you all want plans now, right? It's making it's made us all think we need to have plans in place for when the time comes for us. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing. You're like going off of the assumptions. Well, this is what she would have wanted. And then everybody in the family is like, I think she would have wanted this. I think she would have wanted that. And it's like somebody's just got to make a decision. Yeah. I don't know what I want. That's a life. That's just going to, that's life. my life motto. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> I noticed you got that shirt printed up. And then it, yeah, it seems that it's a picture of yourself kind of shrugging. Looking confused. <laughs> just go, I don't know what I, I want. want. Yeah. Another good catch. So right? yeah, when people come up, they're like, uh, Andrew, uh, you got, um, you got that string out going for us. I just pointed my shirt. Yeah, I all guess, right. I'll see you at right. the end of the day. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I had uh, when um, my paternal um, grandmother passed. When my paternal grandfather passed, they uh, they had him cremated, and then they put him. They uh, put his ashes in. Uh, the, there was a, a lake nearby mm-hmm. in in Mommy Valley State Park. I don't know if we were legally allowed to put his ashes there, but they did it anyway. Yeah. And when my grandmother died, they put her ashes in that same lake. And then my family always joked that it was like, now they get to fight with each other again. Because, 
my paternal grandmother and grandfather were very combative with each other. Well, they were kind of like the Lockhorns. <laughs> <laughs> I would think the joke would be now they get to argue about whether or not the water's too hot. <laughs> Turn up the air conditioning. My uh, my asked, my my uncle told would always tell the story that like my grandfather would act. My grandmother was real like quick to temper. She was a very loud presence. My grandfather would like get some black and milds and he would, my grandmother, my grandmother had lost a leg due to cancer when she was younger. So Mm -hmm. she was immobile for a lot of, a lot of her life or, you know, she wasn't like walking around the house a lot. So she would, when she was in her room, my grandfather would sit in the living room Mm -hmm. and smoke black and milds. Which, if you never smelled a black and mild, they they stink. They you've smelled stink. it. Stink. If you've ever been walking like around cigarellos, town, it's something it's awful. Just, just that's it's, it. it's not the smell of a cigarette because my grandmother smoked for years. But yeah. like this, this, so she would scream. And my my grandfather is she's like you know Jack, are you out there smoking? And he's, he's no no no. And then he would stand on a chair, <laughs> and there was a vent that connected yeah. the living room to her bedroom, and he would blow smoke through that vent and then laugh to himself and keep smoking. <laughs> Jack, I smell that. And yeah. So that was, that's, that's, that's one their family, thing. Yeah. But I'm, just, I'm terribly, terribly heartbroken to hear that, Mark. Yeah. It's rough. But I'm more heartbroken to tell you that we have an episode of Episodic Memories too, to record today. <laughs> to have to record as well. Uh, yeah. This week we watched Phenom. Yes. Um, it's a real now, why did you select this episode, this show? You're really going to really bum everybody out, Mark. <laughs> Sam Simon, prolific television writer and producer. I don't know if you you would send an email saying Sam, you know, this was from Sam Simon. Yeah, and I was like, oh, I, and I don't know if you caught it, but we were talking on the phone or something, and I was like, oh yeah, the guy from uh, The Wire. <laughs> no, but that's David. That's David Simon, Simon. <laughs> but. I legitimately thought it was him. <laughs> so when we're watching this, I was like, this is a strange turn for his life. <laughs> he must have gotten real serious. Now, I believe yeah. he, he would have been reporting for the Baltimore Sun at that point. At that point. Sam Simon is a very famous, um, prolific... Simpsons writer. He was a co-creator of The Simpsons. Uh, often forgot about co-creator of The Simpsons behind Matt Groening and James L. Brooks. Yeah. Um uh, passed away a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and he was instrumental in getting the Simpsons off the ground. He wrote for taxi. He wrote for the Tracy Ullman show, just a, a ton of credits to his name and like a very prolific comedy writer. And he passed away. So, um, there's look- an urban legend of sorts, I think, or just a story in the entertainment community that the flaming Moe's episode is, Based on basically his, an analogy for what happened on The Simpsons, right? That Sam Simon kind of gotten was kind of forgotten as being a co-creator of The Simpsons, and a lot of early Simpsons showrunners and writers uh, say that Sam Simon kind of set the tone because yeah. he was very instrumental in the first four seasons, and then he left to go do the George Carlin show. And I remember the George Carlin show. Well, there's a lot of back and forth because. Um, he it's this prolific comedy writer mm-hmm. but like everybody that talks about him in the room and everyone that talks about shows that he worked on say that he was the biggest fucking asshole yeah 
And it's something that I want to talk about when we look at this and we talk about comedy writing in general is like, where does that divide lie, you know, in terms of success and in terms of being funny. Yeah. But at the same time, like geniuses have a tough time relating to people, but you know, where does, where does the line lie? It's like, if he's a huge dickhead to work with, how do you produce material based on that? Like you can be like the funniest person in the world, but just be kind of a jerk in general. George Carlin said that he had a miserable time on that show. That because of just, Simon? Yeah. Oh. Well, that I, like he could put, George Carlin says that he put, put together, he was an incredibly funny, brilliant guy, but just was just miserable. That, that Sam Simon was just a miserable person to be around. Yeah. And that Sam Simon agrees, and he's he said in interviews that he can be contentious. But, you know, it's like Dan Harmon is the same way. I was going to say Dan Harmon is the same way. I David Milt, there, there's a story of, I remember hearing a long time ago, Stephen Gagan had written an episode of NYPD Blue. And at the time, David Milch was the showrunner. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wasn't necessarily writing that episode, but he was there. And David Milch has a bad back, so the way that he writes is he lays on the floor and he has a typist who types what he says. Mm -hmm. So Milch is on the floor, the typist is at the computer, and Stephen Gagan is in the room. And Milch just went through every page and was like, oh, what a bunch of shit. And then put it on, dropped the page and was like, what a bunch of shit. Mm-hmm. Every page of like this 50 something page thing. And then there was one page. It was like episode page 32. And it was like, oh, this is good. This is really good. And he was like, made me feel good about 32. But <laughs> the rest, I was like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that I think that showrunners have to be that way because you're the captain of this ship. You know that you're the captain of the show. You're deciding. You're making these decisions that are largely opinions. Yeah. But you have to know that your opinion is that what you're putting on the page is right. So yeah, I think you have to be a dick, and I think you have to be a little bit miserable and a bit curmudgeonly to be like, I don't know how to come up with an idea. I don't know where the idea is going to come from. But when it gets there, we have you have to defend it. You know. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that he was right. Every step of the way with Venom. So that leads us to what we're talking about today. Looking back on Sam Simon's body of work, a lot of there's a lot to do about the Tracy Ullman show. There's a lot to do about Taxi. There's a mm-hmm. lot to do about The Simpsons, et cetera, et cetera. However, this is not those shows. This is a, a minorly forgotten gem, and the show we're looking at today is entitled Phenom. So let's talk about that in a little segment we like to call, Hey, 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 what's going on here? Hey, 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 what is going on here? So, Andrew, fun fact. Yeah. Uh, I remember the opening of this show. Really? Yes, I remember having watched the opening of this show, and then I did some very tertiary research on it and this show was on after full house on tjif yep. in 1993 yes so i def- that i definitely would have been watching 
mm-hmm. at that time. And I remember this opening and this bit where they want to. Well, let's let's just talk about it. Phenom first aired on September 14th, 1993 on ABC and ran for exactly one season. Created by Dick Blasusi, who is a writer, who is a pretty prolific writer. He's written for Mad TV, Tracy Ullman, who wrote a lot for SCTV. <clears throat> Mark Flanagan, who is a writer and producer for The Tracy Ullman Show and for Murphy Brown. And Sam Simon, co-creator of The Simpsons, writer-producer, Taxi, George Carlin Show. Tracy Ullman, I think he was like a one of his later projects was something called Z-Rock, which was on IFC. Wait, so what was the story? He was on The Simpsons and then he quit to do George Carlin? I believe what, what ended up happening is he was on The Simpsons and then four seasons in that he just kind of parted ways. Yeah. And... I mean, his name was attached to the show, but I, I don't. I wonder if it's if it was like a just it just was time to to time to move to on. move on kind of thing because he had basically had set the tone for the show. Those early you know those early seasons are so important, and showrunners tend to like that's your is what you were saying before. That's their show. That's your baby. Yeah. So if you go back and look at the first four seasons of The Simpsons, that's Sam Simon's doing. So you can applaud him for it, absolutely. But he went off and then started creating other things. This would have been this would have been created first. Phenom would have been created first. More than likely, he probably had a deal at that point. Yeah. Through something to. Because I think the George Carlin show was also on Fox. George Carlin show was on Fox. This is on ABC though. Yeah. So either maybe this was in a this was in the, somebody's pocket or something like that, and he got attached to it. I don't know how these deals are always goofy, but we have this thing here. Uh, The episode that we watched for today's episode is is, uh, entitled Just a Family of Doolins Sitting Around Talking. Great name. Great name. Real punchy. This was episode 21 of 22. Yeah. So this is right before the end. This first aired on May 3rd, 1994, directed by Art Delhen, who uh, is pretty much a late 80s early 90s kind of sitcom director a lot of um head of the class punky brewster sister sister like that kind of multi-camera setup and this uh in episode it was written by john vitti who is another uh very common name on simpsons credits he was a writer for the simpsons he wrote for king of the hill he's a producer on the simpsons and king of the hill wrote uh, for the critic or for Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. wrote um, wrote the Simpsons movie. Oh, also wrote the script to Alvin and the Chipmunks. Okay, and Alvin and the Chipmunks two. This <laughs> and Fred Graver, who is a uh, Letterman uh, writer, and also wrote for In Living Color and the John Stewart Show. So pedigrees, Mark. I mean, a lot of professionals. A lot of pros a lot of here. comedy pros are here i can't speak to all of their credentials or all of their individual talents but yeah a lot of people who have been doing this for a long time and now we're doing a tgif so let's let's do it mark did you know anything about this show other than the opening title other than the fact that it's called phenom other than the fact that it's called phenom i didn't know anything but when i started watching it I remembered this opening sequence. Okay. 
Well, let's dive right in. Tuesday, it's what you've been waiting for. They're back! When the girls return from summer camp with a real ghost story on the season premiere of Full House. Then, it's Judith Light and William Devane in the premiere of Phenom. Can a teenage tennis whiz still be a normal kid? Say there's a tournament next weekend and my best friend's having a party. Which do I do? Go to the tournament. The senior promer. The tournament. Her mother's funeral. Tournament. It's the premiere of Phenom following the season premiere of Full House, Tuesday. We have a cold open here. Yeah. Mark, we are at a Catholic school raffle. Yeah, at a church raffle. Uh, and uh, the mom from that 70s show is playing a nun. Yes, I recognize her right um, away. Trying to get people to bid on a bunch of different prizes. Yes. To buy raffle tickets for. Though it's she's trying to get um, somebody to buy tickets for this veggie lasagna that's sitting on this table. Right. And then she, she smells, smells it, it and it's gross. And she's like, it's gross. And then she like drops it. Big, big laugh. laugh. Big laugh. Angela from Who's the Boss? Judith Light. Angela. <laughs> Angela. Mona. Samantha. Lisa. Angela from Who's the Boss is playing the mother character of this, this family-based sitcom. Mm-hmm. It's a family sitcom. Uh, she's there. This was her first project directly after Who's the Boss. Right. They were kind of hoping this was going to be like another. This is it. This is your big, you we you love her in Who's yeah. the Boss. You're going to love her in Phenom. Brian, who is one of Angela from Who's the Boss's sons. Oh, he was from Who's the Boss too? No, I'm saying the mom. Diane. Yes. The character's name in this show is Diane. The character's name is Diane. She has a son named Brian. Yes. Who, who's kind of a, he's an older son. He's in his 20s, I would guess. He looks like, in his, yeah, he's in his early 20s. He's kind of a slacker character. He he's lives a, at home. He's a slacker, but he's also neurotic. He's yeah. like a neurotic weirdo. He, um, this guy was played by the uh, the quiet guy and uh, High Fidelity. Yes. So think of that guy. Yeah. Uh, he has Jack a game Black. plan. I always think of him as very quiet, the very other, reserved. The other, the other one. The other one. So, Brian has a Brian has a, a plan. He has a bunch of raffle tickets, and he has a plan to somehow get Disneyland tickets by putting all the raffle tickets in right before the time expires. Yeah, and Disney World tickets. And so we're keyed up. We're teed up right here. I'm like, oh, we're going to Disney. That's World. when I because this is a TJF exactly. standby. I watched. The first minute of it, and I thought to myself, how did I draw? How did I luck into uh, picking the one where they go to Disneyland? Yeah. I was really excited because you and I talk about this all the fucking time. Andrew and I. We wanted to write a script. It would be, no, we wanted to write spec scripts. For shows. For shows, but they were all going to be the episode where the family goes to Disney World because that was a hallmark of my yeah. childhood. Full was. House did it. Roseanne did it. Home Improvement did it. A bunch of different shows did it. Yeah. Uh, we wanted to write one where the wire goes to Disneyland. Yes. We're like Bunk and McNulty. Bunk and McNulty keep going, blasting ass. Yeah, they keep going on Astro Blasters because Bunk's mad that that McNulty score, keeps keeps beating, beating him. him yeah. yeah, so like let's go again. Stringer is like trying to get some properties in Main Street. He's tr- yeah, he's, they're hiding bodies. He's in doing Main a Street. body. Yeah, he's trying to buy up property. <laughs> it, was, it was dumb. Brian drops the tickets in the box right before time expires, but a little girl beats him. The little girl comes up and drops it in. And when that happened, I was like, I remember watching this. I remember this joke. You remember this joke? Yeah. So Brian's all freaked out. And he's like, oh, no, we we're going to lose. We lost. 
Yes. So the mom from that 70s show playing the nun starts opening boxes and she gets to the one that he just dropped all his tickets into. Yeah, box number nine. Box number or six. Well, he thinks it's nine. She says it's six. And then he's like, no, that's nine. And she just turns it around. She's like, no, it's six. It's six. And then she opens it up. It turns out that they that this box is not for the Disneyland tickets. Yeah. It's for a couple free sessions of therapy. An hour of family, family therapy. therapy. Which now I'm thinking of the Simpsons episode where they all electrocute each yes. other from yes. Die Hard 2. Yes. 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 They end up winning. This family ends up winning. Yeah, the Doolins. The the Doolins. There's Diane, two, Brian, and there's two daughters. There's two daughters. Mary, Mary Margaret. Yes. Who's and, young. And Angela. <laughs> who is the phenom. Yes. She's a tennis pro. Yes. That's why it's called phenom. Which is what we gather from the... Opening titles. Opening titles. But also, for me, I didn't get it. I didn't really get it until she explicitly states it. That I played, yeah. Yeah. And a little later, she says it specifically. But anyway, the funniest joke at the end is where the Doolins win this therapy. And then the girl that dropped in her ticket right at the end said, I could really have used that therapy. Used that therapy. And then yeah. kicks a guy, kicks Brian in the shin. I thought that was funny. That's probably the funniest joke in the whole show. Sorry to, spoiler, yeah. Mark. Um, and that's the end of, that's the end of the op- uh, cold That's open. an us joke. Yeah, that's something we would have written that, that, yeah. Like, the, the little girl also really wanted <laughs> she needed help because she's just a ball of rage so then we get our, our our opening our opening titles i think these titles suck it's long it's long the song is cloying and annoying You know who sang it? I did when I looked it up. Wow! But how did you how did you come up with that information? I looked. Carly, Carly Simon, Simon. Yes. Recorded this. It felt like ninety seconds. Was it ninety seconds? It was probably it was only long. forty-five. If was, I had to take a guess. But it's just it's them in front of a green screen, right? And it, then yeah, thing- it's, we're just like fading shots of like, oh, she's playing tennis against a garage door. And then we're at the school, and and Angela or uh, Diane is like exhausted or yeah. something. And then we see, uh, you know, now she's back and playing tennis again, and and it's this lilting song. It's just, just yeah, annoying. It's, it's awful it's, song. And then they all hug at the end. Yes, it's it's like there's no there's no kind of bite to it. It's a show that like like this that just can't exist anymore. It was toothless. It was a completely like, toothless and uninteresting show. You want something underneath it that's going to give you like a, I don't know, some... Well, apparently the dad walked out on them. Yeah, she was a single mother. And I was like, well, let's get into that. Like, that seems interesting. But we didn't. But we didn't. And this and this opening really underlines it. You're just like, we're this is going to be a bit of a slog. And there's a coach. Yes, the, Coach Lou. Coach Lou is Angela's tennis... Pro coach, yeah. and he's played by a 
He's played by a, it's a TV and film actor that's recognizable. It's an actor from Knott's Landing, mm. and uh, he goes uncredited in the show. He was upset about his billing because he kind of figured this would be a, a vehicle for him. Oh. And it wasn't the case. No. So technically, he is uncredited in the, in the show despite being in the goddamn opening titles. Yeah. Act one. The family is bummed about the prize. They're, we're still at the church raffle. They're bummed about the prize, and they say to each other, we don't need therapy, and they start fighting with each other. Diane wonders, who the hell would donate hours of therapy? What kind of a dumb shit bitch? <laughs> a dumb, stupid, Smelly. dumb bitch of a dumb bitch yeah. would donate fucking therapy hours. That bitch. If I meet her, I will... I'll stab Punch her, her right I'll, in the cup. I'll fuck. <laughs> and then over her shoulder, I donated it. Hello. Hello. I'm Dr. Hello. Jameson. And they're like, yeah. Dr. Casey. Dr. Casey. Dr. Casey shows up and says she did it. And she's uh, she's done a lot of things uh, to try and get noticed. And she gives this weird, I feel like this is a network note. Or maybe it was like something in the writer's room yeah. where they like, I'm okay with the idea of somebody offering their services for free, but they go, they like de- dedicate screen time for her to say, listen, the recession has not been very kind to my practice. And I thought by donating a few free hours, perhaps I could attract some new clients. Therapy. Call me crazy, but it might just do us a lot of good. You don't need this. It's not a joke. You don't get need, rid of it. Yeah. You don't need it, but it could have, I was hoping that, she was going to be just hard selling these guys the whole time because she mentions she needs new clients. So she was going to, I don't know, give them like the Scientology treatment. Like, <laughs> I feel like you need help. So you're going to need the industrial strength yeah, therapy. Yeah. I have this e-meter over yeah, here. Right here. So Tell um, me a deep, dark secret. <laughs> just right into this. If you have bank numbers, yeah. I'm going to just write those down too. And we cut to the therapist's office. Dr. Casey sits down with the youngest daughter, Mary Margaret. Mary says, Mary immediately starts jumping into her life story. And she says that the most painful experience that she's ever had is when her mom wouldn't let her be on star search. And fade to Dr. Casey says, well, what would have, what would have happened if you had been on star search? Mary Margaret then thinks about it. And then we, we, we get an glissando to what looks like footage from the actual show star search that included this actress as a younger girl oh you think it was real i think it was real because there's no joke yeah there's no joke and um it's her singing some song about broadway and she sings like the whole goddamn song yeah she's she's like singing this like shirley temple type song and uh then we have a cutaway to obviously i thought it was a betty boop whatever it was (laughs) whatever it's it's it goes on for a while there's no joke in it so if they shot it if they shot it specifically for the show they wasted their time yeah shooting this extended piece i think i think what happened is they took the old act they took she must have said i was on star search once and i'm like let's see if we can jam that into a show yeah. so we can write one less so page let's see if we can wrap early today <laughs> uh we cut to ed, lakers tickets we cut to ed mcmahon who the, 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 the real, real ed, ed mcmahon, McMahon who's there singing talking about this girl in yeah. like a single shot. Yeah, just shot in front of some. I was like, she wins everything. Yay! Yay! Big applause. And then, then we, we fade back to the, the therapist's office. And then it's like, well, what would have... 
what would have happened after that if that would have been the case? Yeah. And she says, well, I could have done anything. And then we fade to another kind of dream sequence. Another one. This is the whole show is built on dream sequences, P.S. It's like a... It's a it's, 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 it's like a clip show, but we filmed new clips. It's like a clip show. We filmed new clips, and it's like a bottle episode, but yeah. it's like we're doing all these weird it's things bottle, outside, yeah. outside of it. Yeah, it's a bottle episode where nobody is in the same room together. <laughs> That's the appeal of bottle episodes is you have everybody jammed into this black box set, and they're all going to argue until they work out their problems. That's what makes bottle episodes perfect. This one, it's like one at a time. What's your fantasy? Yeah. Speaking to my e-meter. <laughs> that would have been funnier, like to put something onto her as opposed yeah. to. Meh. So we get this um, extended parody of uh, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, where she's hosting her own late night talk show from like her her living room. But yeah. she has an audience. Brian is like their band leader. And she's doing this weird monologue. Uh, my favorite part of this was she tells this really lousy joke. She tells such an awful joke. She's, it's based, uh, let's do it. Let's go ahead and cut it in right here. I saw an interesting item in my weekly reader today. Did you know that an ant can pick up 100 times its own weight? So why is it that my Uncle Bernie can't pick up a check? Here. Oh. <laughs> So she tells this lousy joke, but we smash cut to the audience, stand like yeah. just just Def on their feet. Just, <laughs> um, so she goes to the desk and she's like, she has this banter with Brian. This goes on for a this goes this on is for another so one that goes on forever. long, and there isn't really like a funny hook or a joke in there other than Brian talking to the camera and telling his unemployment the unemployment office that he's looking for work. But even then, I was like. He, he makes a joke that's like, you'll see me at, you'll be seeing me at the unemployment office. And like, there's there's kind of a laugh yeah. and he's like, uh, Alicia at I the am, office, I am, I, am, for I am working for work, just so you know. And uh, I was like, okay, that's yeah. kind of good. Uh, Mary Margaret says she wishes, if she could have any guest in the world, she wishes in her long story, 18 month career, she wishes she could have one. And then we pull back to reveal, oh, my God, George Burns has materialized, has materialized next a, to her at the desk. Yeah. George does a couple of old jokes. George, This was weird because what I have a sneaking suspicion, George, Mary Margaret, the act, the, the character, asks George Burns a question about his life. Like, how did your career start? Yeah. And then George Burns gives this, like, answer. And I have a sneaking suspicion that they just gave the actress cards and they're just like, just go out there and we're going to just do this interview like it's an interview. Like, ask him this question and then go from there. Because, like, I have... Those I, are setups. Those like, are very I, obviously I, setups to George Carlin jokes. To George Burns jokes. George Burns jokes. Exactly. And I think he had these lines and he, like, knew what yeah. he was going yeah. to say. But, like, something... It didn't feel like he was going... He, he was going to be scripted on this. No. It's basically just him... Like, he has this patter in his pocket already. Yeah, I think it's a little bit like... Uh, that's what happens on real talk shows, too. Is if you've ever seen, like... Well, the state... A, com- a comedian go to the desk. Yeah. Like, they're always given these weird softballs. Like, I remember Leno being like... So, what what do you think about these... Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a foodie. You know, I like good food. 
Mr. Gaffigan, what, what do you think about these Hot Pockets? Well, hot, yeah. And then, and then like, he does his Hot Pockets bit, and Leno like gets up and goes and changes his oil on his car because <laughs> he knows he's got 15 minutes to do nothing now. But it's it's the way it's set is weird because it's like, I don't know. There's something about it that's like George Burns just has these lines in his pocket. And so they're just like, just go out and because his delivery is weird. It's like it's just him just doing. He's been saying these jokes for what fifteen years. That's the thing. I just I feel like it's it wasn't in the script. It's like George Burns is going to give you a fucking funny answer. And then they hug and they kiss. The audience cheers and then we're out. And that's it. And you're just like, this was what was weird. We cut back to the doctor's office. It's now we've now returned, uh, and it's now the the middle child, the phenom, Angela. Yeah. Is, is now uh, in the office and she stands up. She's she's not going to sit because she's like, she's, I got too much energy. I got I'm too stressed. I got too much energy and I don't need therapy. Uh, I'm not going to be here the full 45 minutes, whatever. Uh, the uh, doc says, well, I mean, you are a tennis, you phenom. know, you ten- you are a tennis phenom. Stares into the camera. Uh, so it's a lot Must of stress. That's for that's, a fifteen-year-old. And she's like, "Well, yeah, actually, now that I think about it, there's I have to keep having this recurring nightmare." And we fade to this her describing this nightmare where she is. She's on a she, tennis court set. She's playing she's the, on one of the. She's playing worst the, tennis court sets yes, I've ever it's seen. It's like the it's this weird half backdrop where there's like grandstands, yeah. but it's she's in the the, the final game of Wimbledon. And she describes that she's basically forgotten how to play tennis. She loses to Steffi Graf. And then uh, she feels like she's let her entire family down. Everybody she has. Because she, she's a big failure. Yeah. Everybody leaves the stands. And then her coach, Coach Lou, comes up and he's like picking up cans. Yeah. And she's like, Coach Lou, I let you down. And he's like, uh, no, you didn't. I got a good way to get back on top. And then he's like, five cents, ten yeah. cents as he's picking up these cans. And that's the end that's of that. It. The doc says that's she explains to Angela that um, that's known as the imposter complex. And then a lot of people who have these kind of talents that she has go through something like that, where they're worried that they're going to be found out as an imposter. Yeah. At the end of it, she says, is there I, any f- I was excited because I often feel like an imposter, but without the success. No, it's just so, a, like my middling life and career. I'm like, I don't someone's going to find out. Somebody's going to figure someone's out. I'm a gonna, dumbass. Uh, then at the end of it, um, she's like, is there anything else you want to talk about? And then we see from Angela's perspective that the doc looks like Coach Lou. Yeah, it's very weird. And she's like, no, not not at this time. That would be interesting. No. And then she leaves. Gonna avoid that. Act two. Brian, the son, is now in the doctor's office, and uh, he explains that he's in a rut and he's not as um, as much of a go getter as his sister. Yeah. The doctor asks Brian to explain to him, explain to her. Now the joke I wanted was, I'm not as much of a go getter. You know, I, I feel bad. I'm the older. I'm the oldest child, but. I'm nowhere near as accomplished as my little sister. And then the doctor says, well, Angela's, you know, an established tennis phenomenon. And then he says, I was talking about the seven-year-old. <laughs> she was, she was going to be on Star Search. <laughs> she, she was a, no, just, she, that, that silver medal at the science fair. Just, just God damn she's it. already ahead of me. I'm not even, don't even, she's, I, it's, 
Don't even remind me of Angela. That's the joke I would have wanted. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of situations in this that I thought where I was like, like I liked where the setup was going and I got setup really excited. And nothing. nothing. The doctor asks Brian to explain to her what his life would be like if he were more dogged and uh, driven like Angela is. Yeah. And so we cut to like a buckle up everybody like a trashy like it's like a dive bar dive bar but it's like a 50s kind of dive bar-esque thing he's in like an elvis impersonator suit yeah he's dressed as elvis from one of early elvis yeah it's like uh yeah like like a viva las vegas or uh jailhouse rock or yeah he's yeah he's got like the thin yeah he's got the thin tie and it's like deep blue yeah. suit that kind of thing so he comes in with this huge pompadour and he's got a big trophy that's again like one of the, the other funny line is he comes in some no somebody bursts through the door and they announce that brian's here and he's just yeah. won the big speedboat race <laughs> so brian comes in with this huge Strat- swagger yeah. and he's got this big trophy and i just like the idea that they're excited like sarah that's Rue. A, funny line sarah Rue, who's a television actor actress now plays the girl who bursts through the door uh, I believe in other episodes she plays uh, Phenom's best friend. Oh. Uh, so that's who that was. Because Coach Lou is also in this. This they they yeah. repur- they repurpose characters in this dream sequence. Um, Brian comes in saying he just won the big speedboat race, and then uh, Diane it, it appears and she's wearing like uh like jackie o type yeah it's very strange it's this weird pink suit with like a pillbox and she explains to brian and that mary is dressed like a mini just like her yeah, yeah. but in a small like i would have put her in a john john outfit <laughs> she salutes yeah <laughs> it's very weird she explains to brian that the family's oil business is failing yeah and brian says now you're trying to tell me that when I I went out, I struck oil, I made this family millions, and then the company that I founded is now struggling, and you want me to come back and fix this company that, that I, founded. I founded. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, that's the long and short of it. Brian, oh, <laughs> this was like, so this scene is weird, but at the same time has probably some of the funnier gags in the, in the show. Yeah, it's bizarre. It's somebody was off the... Somebody was like, let's just... Fuck it. We're going to get we're canceled. We're getting canceled anyways. Who let's cares? Let's make it as bizarre as we want. Diane says, uh, you know... Where's he, your sister? Yeah, right? well, yeah. she asks, like... Where, next y- time, bring your sister, you hump. You hump. <laughs> uh, she says, well, you have to keep you know track of your family. Your family's important, you know, and you know, think about your sister. And he's like, I don't want to be anything like my sister. And he points to the bar, and we cut to Angela, the phenom. Yeah. Uh, drunk drunk <laughs> which this is so <laughs> this is dark for abc family she's she's just abc i guess basically she's a washed up drunk yeah like sitting on a bar stool begging the bartender he's for cut off yeah for for another drink and he's like no you've had too much he's like i'll tell you what i've had <laughs> too much and she takes her tennis racket and she like swings at the oh, glasses you got I'm gonna <laughs> get out of here uh, she swings at the glasses. She falls off her bar stool, and then they like dr- they they co- Brian's some, heavies have to come in and, and then drag like throw her into, her into the limo yeah. outside. But like 
I was like, that's that's real. That's dark for like. It's also a dark turn for him, like to have a fantasy where your sibling is this, a this fucking awful, fall drunk. down, awful, miserable, washed up drunk. Because she's like, I could have been the best in the world. Yeah. I could still be the best in the world. But I guess I it's I don't know. I don't know if the I don't know if they explained it by saying like, you know, there's a precedence for these characters in these in the movies that we're referencing she's the like former beauty who's washed up because yeah. they're playing with those archetypes i don't know but it's also strange to have... it's weird to see it in a family sitcom yeah because it's like i know it's in the, 93 oh, oh, in 93 is not not too far i mean it's it's far away it's 20 years ago yeah. more than 20 years ago oh my god i'm so <gasps> oh <laughs> what <laughs> happened <laughs> um it's more than 20 years ago but it's still jarring to see that it's like okay this 15 year old technically is you know in this dream sequence is hammered and in this bar washed up george burns is smoking a cigar earlier next to this young child yeah in and he makes a joke about it too um but now here we are uh, she gets thrown into this thing. It's it's I don't know. It's a funny juxtaposition. The way, the way I liked the, I liked it. I liked the setup. Yeah, the way these shows are supposed to work though is you know they may fight but they always love each other, and to have a character explicitly say that in my dream world I'm Elvis and my sister I'm is a I'm the successful drunk. one and she's the miserable one and it yeah as opposed to I am also successful. <laughs> We're all successful. Yeah, everybody is happy. It's no, I want her begging for just one more drink brian then notices that coach lou is there and coach lou is being is a pool shark yeah he's scamming old ladies and taking their money and so brian runs the table on him and then uh gets the money back and then we have a extended another musical song sequence where he he sings an elvis song and in like dances around he sings cc Ryder. oh which isn't strictly an elvis song and elvis isn't known for Making it famous. But yeah, he sings a 50s rock and roll song. And they have like a dance sequence where he's like dancing with people and he gets up on the table and he's singing and yeah. he's doing the whole thing. It's weird, right? Yeah, it's one of the weirdest. It's very, very strange. It's a very strange sequence. And then we come back. And that's and that's the and act out. Well, he's standing on the table uh, in the doctor's office. And yes. the doctor says, if you had insurance, I'd be rich. And Which he is says, a lame joke. It's a lame joke. And then he says, thank you. And then he gets off the table. And that's and the act out. out. And that's, it's. Ugh. I think she, the answer, her line should have been, I'd like you to tell me how you feel about padded walls and butterfly nets. <laughs> Do you own any Napoleon hats? Yes. <laughs> act three, Diane now is in the, is in the doctor's office. And uh, she is asked to close her eyes and imagine um, being free of like the family stresses that she has in her life. And what would she's that very stressed? What would that entail? I don't see that in any way, but she's very stressed. She uh, she begins to start thinking about herself being free of responsibility. She says that she sees herself as the pilot of an airplane, and uh, she's just kind of flying off by herself. But she looks out the window and she sees Mary Mayor, Margaret yeah. hanging to the wing. The doctor says, now remember, you're free of these responsibilities. 
So she looks again, and Mary Margaret says, "All right, mom, I'm off to college," and then let's go <laughs> let's in the go wing. Let's go in the wing and flies off, <laughs> which I think is funny. That's a, that was kind of a funny line. Uh, Diane then imagines a weird Bond knockoff that's yeah, sitting James next Bond to her. Knockoff. Uh, and then they bang, doing this weird like this could have been funny, but like there's just probably not. There's no there's no zip or zing or it's very non sequitur. The the thing that we you know the reason that we talk about it's I'm sorry everybody that we're talking about this again, but the drunk sister that is a part of a fantasy that gives you a clue to the relationship of these characters. Yeah. So the mom having a fantasy about James Bond, unless this is established in some way throughout the show that she thought that her husband was this suave international figure. I don't know, Mm -hmm. but like, it's a waste to have a fantasy sequence where you don't explore the relationship between any of the characters. Yeah. So she just has this, I'm going to bang James Bond fantasy and then we're out. Right. And at a certain point, Angela shows up and says that her clothes are, are, are dingy. Yeah. Her whites are dingy. And so Angela or Diane gives her like a roll of quarters and a parachute and says that there's a laundromat up the Amazon. Yeah. Kicks her out. Angela jumps out of the plane and then she bangs this like he gives her a martini and he's like, it's shaking, not stirred. Jeez. And there's a laugh on that? And, it, and like, it's a weird, What's awkward, the there's a weird, awkward laugh where he laughs, like, too long. Yeah. And then and she then starts to laugh. She starts to laugh, and there's no follow-up. There's no kind of, where's the turn here? And then and then she's, I don't know. This was a, this was a weird act. Um, and they kiss, and then they bang. So now at, we get our final scene. The family's all invited back to the doctor's office. The doctor says... Um, I've talked with all of you. Uh, you all seem nuts. Yeah. Narcissist, paranoid <laughs> schizophrenic, um, De- chronic depression, chronic depressive. Mm. I think that's all of you. Yeah. Mm. She, uh, uh, she says, I think we would make some real good headway. I was trying to write up a diagnosis and instead I just printed out the DSM four. <laughs> And here you are. This is you. Thump. So uh, she she says, I think we'd make more headway if you came in every week. And they're like, well, we can't afford every week. And she says, here's what we're going to do. Based on your budget, if we could do $200 a month for four hours of, you know, a session every week. And Angela or Diane says, well... And this is, I hate this. This is the thing I hated. Yeah. She says, well, we have been putting aside that money for Disneyland, but I think we need to think what's going to be the best for our family. And then we smash cut to to a real shitty green screenshot of of them fake walking (laughs) around Magic Kingdom. And I'll tell you why I hated this is because they didn't need to telegraph this joke by saying, We've been putting aside that money for yeah. Disneyland. They should have said, well, we have a little bit of money put away. I think we need to do what's best for, for, the, family. for the family. And then they're just walking. The, exactly. Exactly. Because <laughs> yes. we had already set up the Disneyland thing several times in the first act. Like that joke would have been a lot funnier. I was really disappointed that they decided to telegraph it right at the end. Yeah. Am I alone? No, you're right. I agree. We could have done a punch up on this script, I think. 
we couldn't have saved it. No. But we could have made it's it a little weird. more tolerable. The act structure's all over the place, and that's the end of Phenom. Phenom. In so many ways. <laughs> Let's get scratching. Mark, what do we think of Phenom? It was bad. It was bad. It was a bad ABC TGIF show. Um, I have very fond remembrances of Full House and Boy Meets World, certainly. I remember them fondly. Sure, you remember them. But I would not want to revisit them. I I don't know if they were any better. But, you you, you know, you have to say, this is a show that only lasted one season. Obviously, it wasn't one of their best shows, despite the talent behind it. Maybe a show like Full House or Family Matters or Step by Step or Boy Meets World or Teen Angel or something like that that lasted for a long time. Maybe they were better shows overall. Maybe there was something special to them that this show was lacking. I think it would be unfair to say that this was as bad as anything else that TJIF ever had. I guess it's the argument. Well, that's the thing. It's not like as as a dumb sitcom. It's a dumb sitcom. Yeah. But like... I'm, I thought it was an especially. I thought it was an atrocious sitcom. What What's disappointing to me is like, based on the talent that's behind it, you could have expected them to come up with something, or just have some kernel of yeah. something in there where you're just like, oh, if they can mine this, they could go real fun and far and interesting. Yeah. But instead, it's just this kind of like lukewarm. Just not even like interesting family dynamic that it's like, of course, like she's a single mother and she's stressed. It's like, yes, we, well, we understand. Yeah. We also didn't. It's not necessarily fair that we picked 21 of 22. Right. They probably knew they were getting canceled by this time. Right. No. I mean, they got a back order at least. Yeah. I don't know what the I don't know what 22 was, but. I have to imagine they were like, we're probably not going to be around too much longer. Let's just do something easy. Or I don't know. Was this necessarily was this easy? It wasn't easy. I don't know. They had to plan a They're... dance sequence. Like they could have just shot it in the in the doctor's thing and, and yeah, and said they have a whole another set. I they don't have know. they have several other sets. They yeah. have the tennis set. They have the airplane. They have the the where's the, the bar set. <laughs> You're, You're in it. it. You're in it. <laughs> other, than, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm disappointed because like what I was hoping for was some kind of like subversive thing. Yeah, you wanted this. something a little more challenging. That like even on the surface it's like okay here is um, this family thing but like what I have a sneaking suspicion is like the Brian character was their outlet for like weird off you know like kind of darker material yeah he was, in it he was the you know he was the 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 Uncle Joey no not Joey he was the Dave Coulier he was the that's Uncle Joey he was the Uncle Joey or the in Step by Step the Cody, Cody, the guy who lived in the van and yeah, beat his wife in real life. I think. Yes, and then got replaced by Bronson Pinchot. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't as like it wasn't as like wacky and, and sidekicky as that. Where he's like, yeah, he was. You know, it's not dark, like sad. Sack. It's not Urkel. It's not you know Uncle Joey doing weird voices. It's not Cody had a fucking catchphrase. He you know was like. Uh, I don't know I what was, I want. I think it was, yes, that's what it was. <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> uh, it was him going, um, dude, was his thing. Oh. But uh, instead, they have this character that's like a little bit more cynical. So they probably, they could have, you know, it seems like the lines that they were writing for him were probably more in line with 
the stuff that they probably wanted to write. Yeah. But then they had to fill it out with the rest of this, like, other, you know, oh, we have a cute fucking kid who's precocious. A precocious kid, yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm disappointed. It's a reason that this isn't necessarily remembered in terms of the Sam Simon canon. But it's interesting to look at, nonetheless. Certainly. It's interesting to look at in this, Mark. This aired on television. Yes. People, I, we, I always go back to and this. And this was... This aired on television. Millions. People got millions paid, of people watched this. Pe- people watched it, and people got paid money for it. Yeah. So, I feel like we could have written this. Yeah. That's the thing I always look to. Could we have written this? So we could have written something better. We could have written something better that would have gotten rejected. But yes. In the end, we could have written this. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. Maybe. We've been like, I got the star search footage of this fucking girl. You want to use that? We were on YouTube the other day. You know this actress was in was on Star Search? Ooh, ooh, use that. Can we can we clear that? Who cares? Who cares? <laughs> we got Ed McMahon. <laughs> All right, let's do this. He was doing a dog food commercial. We got him for twenty minutes, so write a couple lines. Uh I would just write a bunch of reacts from him just going like, Ooh, Ooh. hey, hey. <laughs> that's got to hurt. <laughs> we just slug them in wherever we wherever want. We want throughout the whole show. It's a fantasy sequence. Who cares? Who cares? It doesn't have to make any sense. Why can't I cats <laughs> So, Mark, knowing that, we're going to turn to one of my favorite segments of the show called, Well, well you, you fucking, fucking do, do it. it. Mark and I have decided to write some pages of a potential next episode, the very next episode of this show that we have just taken a big fat shit on, yeah. entitled Phenom. So let's see how our pages stack up. Compared to theirs, and I have a sneaking suspicion. Uh, we'll see. That is, uh, that should be the tagline for Best of the, for Episodic Memories. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Is anyone listening? Uh, we'll see. All right. Uh, why don't you go first? Um, I'll do scene direction, Angela, and Phenom. Okay. And you do Brian and Mary Margaret. Okay. And then uh, I'll I'll do any other other characters okay. as well. Okay. Exterior: Cinderella's Castle, Disneyland Day. Angela, Brian, Phenom, and Mary Margaret walk past a bustling crowd at Disneyland. I want to ride Astro Blasters and Star Tours in Big Thunder Mountain and anything that'll let me hock a loogie on Captain Hook. Would you look at this? Lines everywhere. Settle down, Brian. We're having family time. We've been walking for hours and haven't picked anything to ride. Brian spies a long line. He plants his feet and settles into the queue. I don't care what this is. I'm riding it. The camera pans right, showing a long, winding line until it reaches the end, revealing the front of it, a hand-popped popcorn station. The attendant is popping kernels one at a time. This is the attendant. One. It pops. He puts it in the bag. Two. It pops. He puts it in the bag. Would you like salt? The customer shakes their head yes. The attendant sprinkles a salt shaker onto his hand. He picks up one grain of salt at a time and into the bag. One. The family, sans Brian, walks on. I should probably call Coach Lou about missing practice today. This trip is all about relaxing. Don't even think about Coach Lou. But my my twitch muscles, I feel them atrophying already. Mom, punch me as hard as you can in the face. I want to see if I can dodge it. Don't worry about Coach Lou. I took care of it. Exterior tennis court day. Coach Lou fires a tennis ball launcher. 
Phenom, you've been on fire today. Reveal a large, lumpy scarecrow holding a tennis racket with Phenom's picture taped to it. Lou fires a tennis ball at the scarecrow, hitting it and knocking it over. Yep, <laughs> on fire. Lou takes a long drag from a whiskey bottle. He fires another tennis ball at the downed scarecrow. Good hustle. Yeah, yeah. that's it. That's, that's all it, it is. That's Phenom. That's funny, right? That's, that was funny. That's pretty good. That was funny. I just imagine this terrible drunk. Just, <laughs> and I don't know. I, I'd like to imagine that both that Mary and Margaret both um, set up the scarecrow and supplied and Coach Lou with the, the whiskey. Yeah. All right. I will do scene direction. Okay. Angela. No, hang on. I'll do scene direction and Lou mm. and Brian. And you can be Angela and I guess Ref. Yeah, okay. I think that's it. Okay. So I'm Lou. Yeah. And Brian. In scene direction. In scene direction. Okay. Okay. Exterior, tennis court. It's the second day of the tournament, and the crowd is raucous as Angela steps to the line. She waves to Diane and Mary in the stands. Get your head in the game, Angela, says Coach Lou. Lou is screaming from the bench. He points at Angela's opponent at the other end of the court. Angela looks, and we see that she is playing against a Teutonic Titan named Helga. Helga spins her racket and throws it around like a set of nunchucks. Angela goes wide-eyed during this display. She gulps heavily and tries to flip her own racket, but manages to drop it and poke herself in the eye while trying to retrieve the racket. Now, give me a second, ref. Lou runs over to Angela. What's the problem, kid? Look who I'm up against. I don't stand a chance. Helga's a little... Taller than some of the people you've played. Are you kidding me? I heard that people brought back parts of the Berlin Wall, but I didn't realize they'd trained them, trained chunks to play tennis. Look, she's bigger and faster than you, but she's also got more experience. Angela waits expect expectantly to hear the good side of this pep talk. Well, let's get on with it. Hey, ref, let's start this bloodbath. Angela readies herself on the line. Ball, ball, hey, ball boy. Brian runs out wearing comically short, short shorts. He hands Angela a ball. Hey, Angie. Thanks again for getting me this job. It wasn't too tough considering it doesn't pay anything. I'm hoping this will be the year I finally get to report my earnings as destitute. Dream big, bro. Give me a ball. Here you go again. Uh, why, don't, why don't I give you this one? Remember that thing we used to do with these uh, when we were both kids? You mean with the match heads? That's it. Brian hands the ball to Angela and cheerfully walks off court. Angela feels the ball in her hand. It's clearly been doctored. She smiles to herself. Serve ball that I may crush you. What's the matter? Getting a little hot under the collar? Angela serves the ball and it bursts into flames as the match heads inside the ball ignite. The fireball smacks Helga in the face and she becomes a human torch. Fifteen. Love. So, <laughs> so she she manages to to immolate this uh, her opponent. Her yeah. opponent. Okay. All right. So I just imagine ah! her just just running through frame. <laughs> yeah. Just her going big thumbs up big to her brother. Yeah. Brother gives a big thumbs up back. This is great stuff, Mark. How is there a reason that we haven't gotten? 
It might be because we're writing spec scripts for shows that have been canceled for, for more than at 20, least 20, 20 years. years. 22 years. I mean, they could come back. Netflix has been She's reviving. still alive. <laughs> Nobody has, in the cast has died, to my knowledge. Netflix has been reviving shows. Left that, and right. Left yeah. and right. I assume this one is right on the back burner, Mark. Right on the back burner. Right, right on, on the, the back, back burner. <laughs> Mark, that's going to do it for this episode of Episodic Memories. Hey, if you'd like to email us about this barn burner of a blistering speedball episode, mm-hmm. you can do that by emailing us at botbpodcast at gmail.com. You can always leave a message at the flickering box at wordpress.com, or you can follow us on Facebook, which is always a, a great, great, great resource. Time. You can review us on iTunes. Give us, a, give us some stars. Give us all of them stars. Yeah. Or you can, you know, tell a friend. Tell, Any friend. Tell a friend. Tell anybody. Tell, that... a, tell a phone. <laughs> tell them just that we exist. Tell somebody. Somebody out there that's hearing our voice. T- just tell them. Just let us know. Just tell them. Mark, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, tune in next week when Andrew and I talk about another great series. To be determined. <laughs> the name of the series it was uh, yeah yeah it's uh, uh jane kesmeric Kaz- yep she's really good at it and um jerry stiller yeah they play she jerry stiller is jane kesmeric's father mm-hmm. the, the the determines yeah that's their last name it's, it's an odd <laughs> show it was a cw sit it was only on for six episodes but like it's good no it's good there Mark. was a lot of talent so. i'm telling you it's 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 you know it's, it's not everything needs to be a barn burner like seinfeld okay some things just need to fill the time you just you need something in between advertisements all right we'll see you next time goodbye <laughs>